I want to say just a uh, personal word to begin with to you at Riverbend. I want to just thank you as a church. Uh, some of you know this, many of you don't. Uh, during uh, a couple years of my life, which some of the old theologians would call the dark hour of the soul, having served uh, in churches all over the South and around the world as a missionary, uh, Tracy and I, particularly, I had a very, very difficult time. And during that painful time when I seemed not to be able to get an answer from God on a number of things and felt alienated, um, much like Job to some degree, this church became a place of healing and rest, a place of friendship and laughter. Uh, this church uh, ministered to me and my family in ways that uh, you'll never know. So uh, today, uh, I'm serving at Brown Baptist Church as their discipleship pastor, and it's an African-American church primarily on State Line Road in Swinney, and uh, we're about 10,600 members at this point. God is still moving and doing dramatic things. So on behalf of Pastor Orr, I bring you greetings from our church, and uh, I thank you for your ministry in my life that restored me and put me in a healthy place. Uh, when you guys had ministered to me, God took Tracy and I to Maryland to minister on the Chesapeake for a period of time, and then about six or seven months ago, brought us back here. So uh, oh, you a dread of gratitude. Uh, you, you ministered to us in a dynamic way, and I just wanted to say a word of thanks for your encouragement, your friendship. I mentored tons of pastors and leaders in churches all over, and uh, 70 or so churches here in DeSoto and Tate County and other churches in Memphis. Discipled a lot of pastors, but when I was hurting for that year and a half, there was one man, one friend alone, that hung on to me and would not let go, and that was your pastor, Brian. And so I'm deeply in his debt also. And praise God that he's your pastor and that he's here local. And thank God for what he did in my life as he hung on to me during a, a very difficult period. Well, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Judges. Now, I know that when I was here about a year ago, uh, Pastor Brian uh, did preach a sermon on Samson. But over the last month, I've spent so much time in this text. God has shown me so much in my personal life that it was hard for me to pick any other message to share with you today. So I want to approach this text from a little bit different standpoint than maybe we've heard in the past. So we want to look at the story of Samson. The story begins in uh, Judges chapter, um, well, chapter 13. And uh, Judges chapter 13, and the scripture reads, now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had borne no children. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. And now therefore... Be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of an angel of God, very awesome. And I didn't ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, 
You shall conceive and give birth to a son, and now you shall drink. You shall not drink wine, nor strong drink, nor any unclean thing, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. And then Manoah entreated unto the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again, that we may, he may teach us what to do for the boy who is to be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came again to the woman as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came uh, the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, Are you the man who spoke to the woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, Now when your words come to pass, when shall the boy's mode of life be and his vocation? The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Let the woman pay attention to all that I said. She should not eat anything that comes from the vine or drink wine or strong drink nor eat anything unclean. Let her observe all that I have commanded. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you so that we can prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering and offer it to the Lord, I'll stay. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name so that when your words come to pass we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask me my name, seeing that it is wonderful? And so Manoah took a young goat and the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord. And he performed wonders while Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And when Manoah and his wife saw this. They fell on their faces to the ground. And the angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah and his wife again. And Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, We will surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said, If the Lord had desired to kill us, He would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands. Nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have let us hear these things. Notice that Manoah's wife called the angel of the Lord, the Lord, in verse 23. She recognized she had been talking with pre-incarnate Christ. Verse 24. And the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. And the child grew up, and the Lord blessed him. The Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. In Mananhanam, Dan, which means the city of Dan, between Azora and Eshtenal. I want to ask you a question this morning. What if God were to choose to give you and your husband or you and your wife 
a son who would be a deliverer of our nation. How would you raise a child that had been given to you by God to deliver your nation? Is it possible, is it possible that God could raise up from Riverbend, from your very home, ladies from your very womb, husbands from your very seed, a deliverer of an America? If there were to be a spiritual awakening in America, surely God would use a man or a woman. And they must come from somewhere. And so my question to you today, are you willing to raise your children as if they will be the man or woman of God, that the Spirit of God will anoint with His power to lead a brokenness, a humility, and a spiritual awakening. For if we are not raising our children to be such leaders, who will redeem our land? Where will this person come from? How will you raise your child? What did Manoah say? The angel of the Lord, Jesus Himself, pre-incarnate Christ, arrived and came to Manoah's wife and said, I'm going to give you a son. He's going to begin to deliver Israel. Not that he will deliver Israel, for Christ would be the one to deliver Israel. He will begin to deliver Israel. And though every other judge before Samson was able to amass a great army and completely destroy, extinguish, or subdue a foreign power, this would not be so with Samson. For the Philistines would be an ongoing threat a thorn and a nag in the land of Israel all the days that they would live there. Unlike every other judge who would raise up an army, Samson would raise no army. Unlike every other judge who would put down an enemy so that they could not rise again, not so with Samson. Although other great leaders were selfless and great noble characters, not so with Samson. For you see, Manoah and his wife were raising a child in a land during a day not unlike the day in which you live. During your lifetime, millions of little babies have been aborted. They've been murdered in the womb. Implements go in and tear those children apart. It's commonplace. We don't think of it anymore. Across our land, homosexual and lesbian marriages are occurring all over. Thirty years ago, the church began to wink at divorce and act as if it's not a blight on our nation and a curse before God. Marriage should be between one man and one woman for life. Thirty years ago, we gave away the for life part, and in the last ten years, we gave away the one man and the one woman part. And so, we live in a fallen, perverse, greedy, wicked, reprobate, immoral nation that's corrupt, in its politics on every side of the aisle, who have no appreciation for life or old age, I predict we'll see euthanasia enacted within our lifetime and become a legal remedy for old age and poor health. And the same generation that loosed abortion for convenience will be the same people that die from euthanasia 
from the children who no longer tolerate their old age and inconvenience. We live in a day like the Danites when we need deliverers and redeemers. We need men and women. We need boys and girls trained to look toward God, to be set apart from birth, to be raised in the Word of God, to have a mama and a daddy teach them every night in their home who God is and to read the Bible, to hold their hand and pray with them. We need a generation that would raise up children. Will you be parents like Manoah? Manoah said, oh God, send your messenger back. I want to hear how I should raise my son. Manoah lived in a wicked generation. They neither understood the law or the Nazarite vow. He heard that his wife had been told this child shouldn't, shouldn't be exposed to any alcohol, that his mother should not drink any wine or any strong drink or eat any grapes or be around any desecrated dead carcasses or dead people. Oh, God, show me how to raise my son. And so, God hears. Ladies and gentlemen, you may be saying, I want to raise a godly son. I want to raise a godly daughter. Do you want to really raise godly children? Then you get alone with the Lord God and ask Him, Father, what would you have me do in my home to raise godly children? What would you have me do? Manoah said, oh, tell me. And the angel of the Lord came back and spoke and said, I have told her that he's going to be a Nazarene, that he should not drink of any wine or alcohol, eat any grape or anything from the vine, nothing fermented, nothing to be around, no death, no dead carcass, no... Manoah did not know the law. He did not understand the Nazarene vow. And so he's been trained by Jesus himself and how to set this boy apart. And so Manoah and his wife suddenly realized whenever they've made an offering to the Lord, no angel would accept a burnt offering for themselves. That would be heretical. That was God himself, Jesus Christ pre-incarnate, that allowed them to make an offering that was burning. When it rose up into heaven, he rose up with it. And they're like, oh! We have seen God will surely die. Well, they had not seen the Father God. They had seen the Son of God. They had seen the Son of God. And his wife wisely said, Hey, if God wanted to kill us, we'd already be dead. He let us see these things. He's trained us. And then the Scripture says that there little Samson grew up. Scripture says that he grew up and the Lord blessed him. He had help. He was probably handsome and strong. Everything in his life was set in place to make him a leader and a redeemer. Verse 25 said, The Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him in the city of Dan between Zohar and Eshtor. So here, my second question is, if you're here today and you're a child, if you're a teenager, if you're six or nine or ten, my question to you is, Would you? how will you respond as a child if God is calling you to represent Him. How will you respond as a young lady or a young man if God is calling you to represent Him? You may be here today and the people in your school look totally past you because you're a nobody. And I have news for you. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Scripture says, Where's the wise man to scribe the debater? Has God not chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise? And you may be a child here and you think you're a nobody in your school. But a nobody in the school is somebody to God. And somebody who is lowly on this earth and humble and broken. That's not arrogant or mean or snotty. In the eyes of God can be used in a mighty way. And so young people, how will you respond 
to a call of God when he says, I want to use you to change your generation. I want to use you to show other people what Christ looks like in a school. I want to use you to learn the Word of God and be a voice to this nation and to your generation. I want to raise you up so I have a voice in your land. Young people, will you be that voice? God's calling you. You feel Him tugging at your heart. He's commanded us. Before Jesus left, He said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all people of Judea, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Teach them the things that I have taught you. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So you have a commission. You have a commandment. And so what will we do, young people, what if God chooses to give Riverbend a national deliverer as a son? When you're born into an ever-increasing wicked culture like Samson, do not underestimate the Lord's willingness to involve you in His deliverance. Their spiraling decline in Samson's day and during our day, their successive failures of judges one after another, once they're gone, the nation will go into sin again. There's deliverance, barrenness, and ignorance. If you have yet to have a child, but since that the Lord desires to use your children, raise them as if they are your nation's deliverer. When you have a child, never underestimate what the Lord may want to do with them. Raise them, set them apart into God as a servant. God doesn't always tell the parent ahead of time. If the Lord seems to be telling you something, that He desires to do through your family. Pray that the Lord will reveal that your mate understands this also. Manoah had to understand what his wife understood. They had to be on the same page. The Lord will listen to your request. He will draw your husband or your wife's heart to hear the same thing. He will not abandon you. And the Lord has the same ability to speak today to any individual as He did in the days of Manoah. It's simply a matter of His choosing to do so or not. The child grew. The Lord blessed him. The Spirit of the Lord was on him. So now, young people, some of you are here today, and you've been walking with God, and you've been reading the Bible, and you've been praying, and you want to be that person that obeys God. Soon you'll have a choice. How will you respond to God as an adult? Yes, you're walking with God now, and yes, you're humble with God, and, and you're praying now, and your parents are teaching you how to walk with Him. But what will you do when you get your driver's license? How will your schedule change? What will you do when you get your first job and you got money in your pocket? And you can spend it however you want to spend it? What will you do? What will happen when you see that first boy or girl and you've always thought they had cooties and all of a sudden your heart starts beating when you see that boy or girl? Who will you become? And how will you respond with him or her? And what will you do? Will you still honor God? Or will you lose His anointing? Cherish your virginity and what God has given you. Hold it dearly and save it for the one who God sends to you. Oh, oh. We read Samson in chapter 14, he turns into an adult. 
How will you respond when you're an adult? Adults here, how are you responding? Adults, how will you respond to God? Maybe you've been a child in the past, hopefully. Maybe there was a time when you read the Word and you were excited about God and now you've been doing this a long time. It's just another day. Another boring day on the island of Piggy Piggy. You've got to be really old to know what that means. How are you living as an adult? Don't you know that God wants to use you in the circle of your friends? Don't you know that God wants to use you in your neighborhood, on your job? Don't you know that you're the only voice God has into the lives of those people who are away from Him? There is no other voice. It's you. You're the voice. And if you have no voice, and you don't stand for truth, and you're not a voice of love and reason and godliness, how will they hear? How will they hear? What would Samson do? Samson knows from a little boy, Samson, you've been called to be a Nazarene. You can't shave your hair. You can't cut your beard. Samson, you can't drink that. You can't eat that. You can't go to that funeral. You can't play with that dead possum in the street. You can't touch dead things. Samson's his whole life growing up. I can't do this. I can't do that. When I grow up, I'm not supposed to do this. And I'm not supposed to do that. They're telling me I'm the deliverer of Israel. I'm supposed to be the, the na- next great biggest thing. I didn't ask for this. I didn't want this. I wasn't looking for this. Nah, 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 nah. All I get is everybody telling me what I'm supposed to So what does Samson do? Do we ever hear a time when Samson prays and says, Oh God. I know you've called me a deliverer. Lord, direct my path. Give me wisdom. Anoint me with your power. Let me destroy the Philistines and set your people back on a track. To... No! We never hear that. No. Do we ever hear him tender enough for God to be able to come to say to Samson and say, Samson, I want to use you as a deliverer. No, he's not listening. The Spirit of God began to move on him. Young people, the Spirit of God starting to move within some of y'all. You hear from God. You read the Word of God, you pray, you hear Him. Most people your age don't hear from God. They read the Bible and it's gibberish. You read the Word of God and it's alive. Don't take that for granted. And then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah. One of the daughters of the Philistines. (laughs) The Spirit of God starts moving in Samson. He grows up to be a young man. And so he's filling his oats, you know. and He decides... I'm going to go on an adventure. I'm going to go down to the land of the Philistines. And so here he goes off into the pagan place. And on his way, he sees a woman there that gets his attention. One of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Go get her for me. I want her as my wife. And his father and mother said, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives, among our people, that you can take for a wife? And not one of these uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Go get her for me because she looks really good. If that was in English, he'd say, She's really hot, Dad. His father and mother didn't know that it was the Lord God moving. For he was seeking on occasion against the Philistines. And so what we see is Samson's character and God's direction colliding within this young man's life. 
God is drawing him to go into the land of the Philistines. And as God is drawing him to go into the land of the Philistines, his own heart is drawing him to this hot chick. And so God's will and Samson's will are merging into one will. And though Samson has not said, oh, God, use me, the Lord's like, well, you, not want to be, you might not want to be used, but I'm going to use you anyway. And you don't even know what you're doing, but I'm still going to accomplish my plan through you, Samson. Samson went down to Tema with his father and mother, and he came to the vineyards of Timna. And behold, there's a young lion. A young lion came roaring toward him. So here's this young lion, not an old, decrepit lion. No, a young, strong lion running toward him. And the lion runs, and Scripture says the Spirit of God came over Samson. The lion jumped at him, and he grabbed the lion and took his, his, his legs and ripped the lion in half like he would a goat and threw the carcass down. Wow. Where did that come from? Hmm. That's not normal. Scripture says he told no one. He intended to keep it a secret. He goes down, and he finds this young girl. And she's really cute, and he's going back, and he comes across the line a few days later, and the bees have built a, a honeycomb, a nest in there. And Samson, though he's a Nazarene and he's not supposed to touch a dead carcass, certainly not eat anything out of a dead carcass, Samson has such little regard for the God of Israel, doesn't care about the Nazarene vow, reaches down, scoops out some honey, takes a honeycomb, puts it in his pocket, eats some on his way home, comes to his mom and dad, and he said, hey, I got some honey, you want some? And gets his mom and dad involved in the same treachery. His mom and dad not supposed to eat from the carcass either. Ladies and gentlemen, you give your child too much freedom and they'll draw you into the same thing that they're involved in. That will defile you in your home. We treat so many things as if they're gods that our children have to have. Oh, they got to be in sports to be balanced. Where's that in Scripture? Where is that in Scripture? Is that really where they're going to become balanced and learn the right values? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We're going to put them under a coach three or four hours a day, four or five days a week. They're already out from under their parents in school. Now they're under a coach's purview, listening to language and a motivation to win and be first all the time. And we think that's healthy. That's how messed up we are as a culture. We let our kids drag us up and then their cycle. Our home ends up on a schedule that no sane person could live in. We're dragging kids from here to there and all over the place. We have no stability in the home. It wrecks our finances. We're upset, frustrated, and angry because we never have time to do good, the right, or the best things. And we create chaos in our home. And we don't even realize we're eating the honey ourselves. Same thing our kids are crying out for, reaching into a dead carcass that'll kill them. We're just lapping it up with them. Because we're ignorant. We don't know. We don't understand that God has a bigger plan for us than to play Nintendo or video games three hours a night with our kids and think that's healthy. To be killing people. Something that's defiled to create a desire to kill or conquer. How is that holy? No wonder this next generation is so flawed. We have no values. We have very little virtue. Oh, he decides to marry her. The parents come down and they bring a bag of money. So mom and dad are now supporting Samson's marrying a Philistine girl. 
they bring a bag of money. They set up a seven-day bachelor's feast, and it's a pagan Philistine feast, and there's wine and alcohol flowing. Crude jokes are being told. The father went down with the woman to Samson, made a feast, and the young men customarily do that. And they saw them there and brought 30 companions. If you read in the Hebrew language, there'd be 30 Philistine warriors. Crack troops, special forces division. So here, Samson is coming. He's, he, he looks impressive. They know he's supposed to be the deliverer of Israel. They're not fools. So at this wedding feast, it's not just any people that come. The special forces Green Beret are there from the Philistines at this court. Can you see God's handiwork weaving this all together? And Samson being the, the, the liar that he is and the, the uh, uh, godless man that he is, he says, I got a riddle for you. If, if you can get my riddle within the end of this feast, and I'll give you 30 changes of clothes, which is uh, a ton of money. be kind of like uh, about eight grand a day. And, and if, and if uh, you can't, then you've got to give them to me. If you can't solve the riddle. And the riddle was uh, about the, the, the deadline and the honeycomb in there. And so they're trying to figure out the riddle. They take the bet. Now, first of all, Samson has violated the law. He's violated the law with this alcoholic party. He's violated the law eating from a dead carcass. He's violated the law lying to his mom and dad about the dead carcass and the honey. He's breaking the law by chasing after Philistine woman that's going to marry her. And now he's gambling, breaking the law, risking. And he's not only gambling, he's gambling with money he doesn't have. In other words, he's making a wager that if he loses, he cannot pay. So it's a false vow. He's breaking the law for the eighth time. This is a deliverer. He's never said, God, use me. He's never said, I'm going to deliver. All he's doing is breaking the law, breaking the law, breaking the law. He was doing good as a young person, but now that he's sown his oats, he's coming into his own, and he's breaking the law right and left. The warriors determined they're going to lose all this money. So they go into Samson's wife, and they say, look, look. If you don't tell us the answer to the riddle, we're going to burn you and your father and your father's house. And they would have done it. And so she goes into Samson every day. Oh, Samson, please tell me the answer to the riddle. And he's like, look, I hadn't told my mom, I hadn't told my dad, so I'm sure not going to tell you. Oh, Samson, Samson, you don't love me anymore. You know, when a wife begins to break down a husband with tears and sympathy and accusations, that there's no affection because he will not do what she wants. Satan is afoot. If you can't talk about things in a, in a respectful, non-emotional way, there's something going on that's unhealthy in that relationship. Oh, Samson, Samson, you don't love me anymore. And finally, the scripture says that he was so vexed, so, so frustrated, she pressed him so hard that he told her the riddle. She runs and tells the, the, the soldiers, and the soldiers come in, and they tell Samson, we know the answer to the riddle. It's honey in a lion, honey in a dead carcass. And Samson looked at him, and he said, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have known the answer to that riddle. I mean, he called his fiancée a heifer. That wouldn't fare in too good for their marriage. He got mad. What does Samson do to pay his debt? It says he went down to a city on the coast, uh, a few miles from Gaza, he killed 30 Philistines. He took their clothes and stacked them all up, and he took them back, and he paid his debt. When he paid his debt, you know what he did? 
He looked at his wife. He snubbed her. He would not go through with the wedding ceremony. He left angry. He left angry. When he left angry, he disappeared for a while. Suddenly, he gets lonely. He wants a relationship. The scripture says that he wants to come back and consummate his marriage. Verse 20, Samson, uh, he was going to come back and consummate the marriage. He brought a little a young goat. Uh, and uh, after a while in time, of the wheat harvest, Samson uh, visited his wife. This is chapter 15 with a young goat and said, I'll go up to my wife in her room. In other words, he's going to have relations with her and consummate his wedding vow physically. He goes there and her father said, well, Samson, you left mad. So I've given her to your best man. And so here Samson comes to consummate his relationship with his new wife, and she's married the best man at this ceremony. Samson gets so mad, ah! his anger starts to burn. He leaves. He goes to 300 foxes. He takes the foxes, ties their tails together, puts a torch on their tail. He, he gets and he rides down to a, a wheat field and he lights a torch and he lets those foxes go and he gets another pair of foxes and he goes to the next field and all over the Philistine countryside he's loosing foxes that are running crazy uh, helter-skelter to and fro with this burning fire and the result is that all the wheat and all the olive groves and all the vineyards across all of the Philistine uh, territory in that harvest was burned to the ground so there would be famine the following year. Famine the following year. Angry Samson. The Philistines wake up the next morning. Our crops are gone. The lords of the Philistine. What's going to happen? Famine's going to How did this happen? Who could possibly do this? Well, you know that guy Samson? Yeah. Well, you know, his father-in-law gave his wife to his best man. And so he got angry and went crazy last night and burned everything. The Lord of the Philistines are like, oh no, that's Samson the deliverer. What will we do? They talk for a little while and they're like, okay, if he's mad at his father-in-law and his wife, let's just go kill the father-in-law and his wife. And they're like, yeah, that's a good plan. So all the, they get together and they, find, they go to Tim to find the father-in-law and the wife and they set them on fire and burn them. They burn them. Well, you think that satisfies Samson? Ah! They burned my wife? They what? Ah! He loses it. Again, his anger boils. He gets mad. He goes out and decides to retaliate. And in verse 7, Samson said, Since you act like this, I'll surely take vengeance on you, and after that, I'll quit. And he struck them ruthlessly, destroyed the city with a slaughter, went to hide in the cleft of the rock. And then the Philistines were like, Oh, no, he's, he's destroyed a city. What do we do now? Well, I got a plan. We'll burn all the fields in Judah. So they're like, no, let's don't burn the fields in Judah. Let's threaten to do that. Let's go to the lords of the Judah and tell them if they don't give us Samson tied and bound, we're going to burn all their fields and everybody will be in a famine. And they're like, yeah, that's a good plan. That's a good plan. So they get together. They get together and they go to the lords of the Judah and they say, look, if you don't give us Samson, we're going to burn all your fields and all your vineyards and all your olive trees and your homes. We're going to take you out. And so the lords of the Judah, the tribal leaders of the elders, come to Samson and they find him there in the heart of Israel. And they say, Samson, could we bind you, please, and take you to Gaza? Could we bind you and take you to Gaza? 
And Samson's like, are you going to kill me? And they're like, no, we're not going to kill you. And he's like, okay, go ahead, bind me. Y'all get a picture. Samson has just burned the fields of Philistine. He's destroyed crack troops. He has devastated an entire city. This man is more powerful than any other judge in the history of all of Israel. The most powerful figure they've ever seen. And their land is so twisted and so corrupt that rather than saying, Samson, we'll follow you. We know God's hand is on you. We know that the angel of the Lord spoke to Manoah. We'll get, no, they come and they say, we like it just like it is. We'd rather give up our deliverance and be able to live in our sin than to have to surrender to God and obey Him and be delivered. Samson's like, tie me up. So they take Samson down to Gaza. And as soon as the, the Judah troops leave, Samson breaks the cords and he takes the jawbone of an ass. He just can't help himself. Picked up another dead carcass and he slew a thousand men right there with a jawbone of an ass. A thousand men. And then he goes to hide. Then he goes to hide. It says Samson, that whenever he did that, the Philistines were terrified of him. And the scripture says for 20 years he judged Israel. For 20 years. But it went through being a godly man. It went through holding court. It was simply the Philistines were terrified of him. Later in his life, never married, never having loved anyone. No proof he loved his first fiance at all. No proof he'd ever loved anybody but Samson. No proof he'd ever loved himself. Thereafter, he slayed a thousand. He prayed to God. He said, I'm going to die from thirst. God split the rock and he drank from the rock. The rock was probably Christ. The only prayer we find in Samson's whole life is when he's about to die from thirst. And he finally cries out and says, oh God, give me water. 20 years he judges Israel. And then the story picks up again. Lonely. Listen, I want you to understand who Samson is. Raised in a perverse generation, right? His wife betrayed him and told the riddle that got him in trouble. He had to kill men to pay a gambling debt. When he went back to actually marry his bride, she's married to the best man. I mean, how bad, how, how much worse can life get than that? And then he finds out the woman that he is going to marry gets burned and her father-in-law also. And then he wipes out an entire city. And then his own army betrays him and wants to turn him in. He's betrayed by his wife. He's betrayed by his friends. He's betrayed by the soldiers. He's betrayed by the armies of Judah. All that Samson knows is betrayal. That's all he knows. That's all he knows. And so the scripture says that one day he went down to Gaza for a prostitute. He was isolated, rejected, lonely, feeling sorry for himself, still had never surrendered to God. And he goes into a prostitute. And it's the scripture says that in the middle of the night, the armies of the Philistines realize he's there with a prostitute, so they put armies all around the gates of the city. And so midnight, Samson awakes and realizes that they're, they're trying to attack him. So he goes out, to the, he bursts, those gates were like this. You're probably 8 feet wide on both sides, 16 feet wide. The posts were driven into the ground probably 8 or 10 feet down. They probably weighed 1,500, 2,200 pounds, those gates did. Outside the gates there were three C-shaped little walls. And inside each one of those C-shaped walls that are about 18 by 25 feet were about 10 crack special forces troops in all six of those. So there's three waves deep of six different Areas that are open to the gate. Samson goes to the gates, pulls the gates and the post out of the ground. Starts swinging them as he's walking through, knocking people away out of those C-shaped fortress columns. And he goes out and he says he walked 
20 miles to Hebron. And then on top of Mount Hebron, drop the gates and drop the post on the ground. As if to prove, if the armies had ever followed me, I could have led this nation. That's why he did that. He made a point. He just took the gates of Gaza all the way into Hebron and dropped them on the ground. It's like a mic drop moment. Wow. Betrayed by a prostitute. And now what will happen to Samson? What will happen to Samson? He finds a woman, and it says for the first time that he fell in love. He actually fell in love. The selfish, narcissistic, pig-headed, retaliating, arrogant man fell in love. Can I just say a sentence about Samson? Samson never agreed to do anything by, with, for God, but God used him over and over again to devastate the Philistines. Listen to me. There are times when God will raise up a national leader. And that national leader will be narcissistic and boastful and angry. And that national leader will retaliate against other people. Won't take anything off of anybody. There's times God will put a man in national leadership who's got a nasty attitude and a dirty past. There's times that God will put a man in leadership who's got a beautiful foreign wife and has got a love for beautiful things and beautiful women. There's times God will put people in national leadership who've got an incredible resume of success and victory in their life and have no character while they've done it. Y'all hear me? There are times God, even though a man does not know that he's being used by God, God Himself will raise a man up and give him a national platform and national influence and leadership Regardless of all his selfishness and corruption, pig-headed, stubborn, retaliatory anger. And use him to accomplish his own will in that position of national leadership. Wow, sound familiar? Samson is that man. He falls in love with Delilah. He goes in Delilah, another Philistine lady, and he's laying in her lap one day. And uh, the Philistine lords say, Delilah, we'll give you 1,100 pieces of silver. We'll make you the wealthiest woman in the, in the land if you'll tell us where his strength comes from. And so she's like, okay, deal. And he's laying, she's like, oh, Samson, where does your strength come from, Samson? And, and he lies. He said, well, if you take some bowstrings made from the sinew of animals and you tie up my hair, then all my strength will be gone. He's toying with what is godly and holy, his hair. He's hinting toward the real truth in his own life. He's compromising just a little about his hair. But he's lying. It's not the fact that you put bowstrings made from sinew. By the way, when she weaves the, the sinew in his hair, that's a violation of the law. That came from a dead carcass, just so you know. Another violation. She said, Samson, the Philistines are on you. He bursts up, pulls this out, kills the Philistines. He goes back to her. He lays back in her lap another night. She said, oh, Samson, you were toying with me. How do you really, where's your strength really come from? Well, if you'd used some fresh ropes that hadn't been dried, then you would have been able to take all my strength away. And she's like, oh, well, go to sleep, little Samson. She massages him away and he goes to sleep. Ties seven ropes in his hair. Samson, the Philistines are on you. The Philistines burst in with the soldiers and so, and he kills them all. 
And yet again, he goes back to her knowing she's betrayed him two times already. Oh, Samson, would you please tell me you're lying to me? Do you really love me, Samson? He's like, well, if you weave my hair seven times with a weaver's machine and pin it, then my strength will all be gone. She's like, oh, go to sleep here on my lap, Samson. And he goes to sleep. Then she cries, the Philistines are on you. He jumps up and pulls the pin out, and he kills him. The fourth night. She's vexing him, begging. Oh, Samson, you're lying to me. You don't care about me. Oh, Samson, you ought to tell me where your strength comes from. And the scripture says she worried him to death. Young people, when you're trying to live holy, and you're with that guy or that girl, and you're alone, and they keep challenging you, and they're like, well, if you really cared about me, you'd let me do this. If you really love me, you'd let me do this. Let, let me tell you something. Whenever Samson laid there, and she said, Samson, tell me. And he said, I'm a Nazarene, Delilah. If you shave me bald and put a razor on my head, all my strength will be gone. And she knew he was telling the truth. When he told her, he knew what she would do, right? And so he chose the love of his life over the love of his God. And when he violated the law by drinking, it didn't take his power away. When he ate out of the dead carcass, it didn't take his power away. When he gambled, it didn't take his power away. Umpteen times the man violated the law, it didn't take his power away. But when he chose the love of a person over the love of God, he woke up and he did not know that his power was gone. And the scripture says he thought he would do what he always did. But the Philistines grabbed him and they gouged his eyes out. Probably with a hot fiery poker if truth were known the way they would do it back in those days. And they put him on a grist mill to display him. And there like an ox turning a big stone with a piece of wood. He would spend his life as a bald headed, poked out eyed, blind fool who a woman had done in for 1100 pieces of silver. What would ever happen to Samson? The only time he had ever attacked a Philistine was because of the rage of what had happened with a woman. Think about it. Every time he would retaliate, it all goes back to what happened to a woman. Everything in his life was tied to a single weakness. How he responded to a woman in his life. And there he was. All through the texture it said she looked good to him or she looked good to his eyes or she was pleasing to him. And now, y'all hear me, the very thing that was his greatest joy, what he could see, some of you struggle with pornography in this room. Some of you struggle with R-rated movies in this room. Some of y'all going to go see Darker Shades of Grey or whatever that nasty movie is. And God's like, okay, Samson, you keep on playing and living for what you see, and eventually you're going to lose your ability to see. You see, God takes away eventually. When you keep on disobeying Him, God will take away the very thing you find your greatest joy in or security in. Jacob was on the jabot. 
And he was, had all these armies out separating Esau. Esau was coming. And Jacob had always been a liar and a trickster and a con man. And he had a plan. I've got Leah way out there. And then I've got Rachel right up here. And I've got all these animals to give to Esau. And if he comes to me to kill me, I'll hear the ruckus. And I'm on the other side of this big valley. And I'll run and leave. But when God jumped on him that night and wrestled with him all night long, before he left, God did one thing. Well, he renamed him Israel. But what's the other thing he did? He touched his hip and took out the sinew of his hip so that no longer could he run. The thing that Jacob could always do was outsmart and get out of things. And that night his plan was to run if Esau came and he heard a war. And God's like, oh no, big boy. You are not going to be able to run. I'm taking your contingency plan away. The thing you've always trusted on, your ability to outsmart everybody else, you'll never be able to do it again. And Samson's eyes were where he found his joy. It drove his entire life. And he pressed God so long until the Lord allowed him to lose the very thing that he'd always focused on. Can I ask you a question? Where is your strength or where is your sin? What enables you to be able to do what you do? And whatever enables you to be able to do that, careful because push God far enough and He'll take that away even though you need it for other things. How will you respond as an adult? And then lastly, how will you respond when you realize that God has not been working through with you? How will you respond when you realize that God has not been working through you? So here's the question. Young people in school, are you courageous? Do you share the gospel? Are, do, are you an example? Do you stand out? On the job where you work, ladies and gentlemen, are you a voice of God? Are you a redeeming agent? Do you confront culture graciously and kindly? Do you speak out and risk rejection and alienation? Or had you rather be like Samson and have friends of the Philistines? Do you desire being a friend of the Philistines more than you desire loving your God? And being his spokesperson. And there is the bottom line. Do we love the Philistines more? Do we want to fit in? Do we want to play down in Gaza? Do we want to be their chum and their buddy? Or do we love the acceptance and the glory and the ways of God more than we do the ways of this world and the acceptance of those people who are around us day to day? And there is Samson's battle. They're toying with Samson. They make a mockery of him. There's a huge coliseum. The roof is curved in a C shape. There's three to 5,000 people up on that roof probably. All the lords of the Philistines and the wealthy people are down below. There's these two huge columns that go up to support the edges of that C shape amphitheater roof that those thousands of people are on. And they're making a fool of Samson. And they bring him out and they put him between those two columns. And Samson looks down to a little boy and says, Hey, son, put my hands on the column so I can rest. Samson's hair had grown out and it begun to become long again. Samson prayed and said, Oh, God, allow me to deliver Israel. Let me destroy these Philistines for having taken my two eyes. Let me push down these two columns. Oh, God, give me your strength back, God. And the Scripture says he began to push, and with all of his strength and all of his might, and those massive columns weighing thousands upon thousands of pounds toppled. The roof toppled in, killed thousands upon thousands of people. And Scripture says that more died at Samson's death than died during his life. More died at his death 
He said, let me die with the Philistines. And here's my word to you today. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, you've not been that courageous person in the school or on your workplace, on the job, or in your community, among your little circle. Maybe you've never taken a stand for holiness and righteousness. Maybe you've never shared the gospel. Maybe you wasted your life, and even though you got a call from God, and you know He wants to use you, you've just been doing your own thing, your own way like Samson, and every once in a while you look around and realize, oh, God used me after all. Samson did, but it wasn't because you were really planning or trying. It's because God is just not going to waste your life. Because he's sovereign. And so, maybe you're here today. And you're saying, I'm a young person. I sense God's hand is on me. I do read the Bible. It does come to life. I do like to pray. Oh God, take me and use me. Walk with me all the days of my life. God, I'm going to commit that I'm only going to marry a Christian who loves you. I'm not going to marry a handsome or a cute person because they look good. I'm not going to marry a wealthy person because of what their parents have, God. I'm going to marry someone Because they love you. If you're here and you make that commitment today, God's hand will rest on you. If you'll say, Lord, I want you to use me. I want to be a spokesperson in the school, in my university, on the job, within my family, my lost family, my friends. God, use me, empower me. I cannot do this on my own. I don't know how to do it. But if I'm willing to let you use me, God, I surely know that your power will find me. I may be rejected. I may not be popular. But, oh God, I'd rather be your child and not love the world than love the world and not speak for you. Would you say that today? You may be here today and you may be lost. You may not, need, you may not know the Lord. You're thinking, this is a crazy story. Let me tell you, you've got a sin nature in your life and it bounds you to do foolish things. But because Jesus died on the cross and paid for your sin debt, all of it, all the sin you'll ever do from today forward and from today past, If you will confess Him as your Lord and Master and believe in your heart God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved today and born again. His Spirit will be put in you. Oh, today, how will you respond as a child? How will you respond as a teenager? How will you respond with an adult? Would you say, I don't want the Spirit of Samson. I don't want to waste a day of my life. I want to exploit everything that I do for you then this is your chance to make that commitment to the Lord. If you're lost, come forward. We'll show you how you can be saved. Stand with me as we pray. Father, we come to you, Lord, and uh, God, this is a powerful story. Lord, you challenged me in my life. I wasted so many days of my life in busyness and other pursuits. Father, I don't want to waste a day. God, I pray that you draw young people today that they'd make a commitment to be godly, holy, set apart. Lord, I pray you draw them to only marry a man or a woman, to only date a person who's in love with you. God, that you'd call our adults to be able to be used as a missionary in their workplace and in their community, within their family, God, that your power and your anointing would clothe them, God, that you'd give them security. And though it's electric and it's exciting when we stand for you, God, sometimes it's painful. But Lord, we're committing to do that for you. Father, I pray that this morning your Holy Spirit would draw a net. And God, that you would show us that you don't desire us to be a Samson. Lord, but Samson proves that no matter how tragic a failure we have, no matter how big of a coward we've ever been, when we call out to you for your power and anointing, Lord, you always answer us. 
because you desire for your children to walk in your power and your presence. Lord, we ask and pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.